welcome to the Six Again podcast, your new destination for all things NRL. Here to bring you everything from team news to best bets are your hosts, Adam Hoy and Jared Mutton. Let's kick off. Hey guys, welcome into the Six Again podcast for tonight. It's actually going to be a bit of a strange one coming through here. Um, Adam has actually had some issues transport-wise, and um, he's actually stuck in Gippy for the night. So it's just going to be me to start of, but don't fret too much. We're going to reset tomorrow night, um, and we've actually got a special guest coming on. Um, more on that later. But what I'm going to start with tonight is obviously the news coming out of tonight, um, the last couple of days since we did our last one. Plus, on top of that, we're going to um, hit some signings few injuries if we get time for it and then adam will jump back in tomorrow night with the team news which we're not going to spend too much time on because obviously it's a um it's a bit of a different round this week because a lot of teams are resting players for the finals but other than that um we're actually looking forward to a few of the young guns they're going to come through and play this weekend because despite what everyone thinks we actually believe this is a great round just like origin where you get to see a few young guns actually get a go this week. And um, that's the silver lining not a lot of people are realising this year, uh, um, this coming round. So we'll hit that pretty hard as well. But um, first big news that came out of the last couple of days was actually Matt Checkin. So not many people do know him. He's most famous for being the touch judge for Andrew John's blow up. If you need a bit of an update jump on youtube and search andrew john's blowing up a referee and you actually see andrew john's about two centimeters um away from matt checkin's face but another part he's most famous for is actually one of the first openly gay referees to come out which um is absolutely massive so obviously in today's society um it's a lot more open and um, honest about these kinds of things so good on him and hopefully there's more to come um, who feel comfortable to do that um, coming out moving forward um, one of the reasons he retired was that um, he felt like he was just making up the numbers and he wasn't he doesn't think as a referee making up the numbers is a good thing um, just because your heart's not in it if your heart on it, your head's on it, and you can't be an effective referee. But one of the biggest calls he got um, was a 50-50 call against New- with Newcastle and Cronulla about, um, I think it was a month ago. And um, he made it, and his quote was, the thing is, three years ago, I wouldn't have lost a minute of sleep, but that night was shocking. I didn't sleep, but that night or the night after, I felt more responsible than I should have been. When you're younger, you look for the big decision to show everyone you can do it. I'm running around now thinking, I just want to get through it. Um, so he he's also um, he also previously walked away from the game after receiving death threats during a World Cup contest in 2017. If you don't remember, that was New Zealand versus uh, Tonga. And um, they... <laughs> It was a very messy affair. Um, obviously, a lot of people weren't too happy about it. But in saying that too, making deference to a referee is just completely inappropriate. So, um, and this is the kind of stuff to bring is they, these guys. And when we had an interview with Gavin Badger earlier this year, he said that, you know, 10 years ago, there was no, no mental health support for these blokes. And whatever they cop, they just had to deal with, push it away and keep going. Um, it's great the NRL are doing more to do it, do more to help, but 
the fact this bloke's refereed 571 first grade games, that's including internationals, ESL, NRL, all that kind of stuff. Um, a few grand finals sprinkled in there. Um, he just said it's it's enough, enough. He says the game is way more technical and the dif- difficulty now is a constant contradiction between what the game wants and from the referees and what it expects. On one hand, they they want extreme accuracy and are scrutinised by it. Nine cameras and super slow-mo, but they also don't want the ref- game to be decided by referee unless you absolutely must. If you want a referee to be black and white, that's easy to officiate. We can't be robots and blow 30 penalties. When we don't referee like that, the game is a great entertainment. Do we let things flow or become less accurate? But at the same time, be fair. That's the art of refereeing. That's what most people want. Um, so, look, essentially, it's hitting the nail on the head. The referees are, are hiding to none in the NRL. I've been saying it for a long time. So, look, hopefully something does pick up for these blokes. But he also stressed that he wouldn't give up any of it. He's happy with what he did. He's proud of the decisions he made. Um, and, you know, 571 games, why not? He must have been doing a good job. Okay, next next thing we're going to talk about is a very, probably the most popular dude on this podcast, old Mark Darren Nichols. So this bloke, and I, I'm going to test this because Adam... Um, always gave me shit for calling him Darren Nichols. And until we found out that Darren is actually his middle name, you got that source from Wikipedia. Adam swears by it. So what I'm going to do is actually test him to see if he actually listens to this part of the podcast tonight. Because truth be told, I jumped in there and changed it to, on his Wikipedia page. And we'll find out later if he actually listens to it to see if it, it, what his response to that is. Um, yeah, so keep informed. But old Mark, um, probably the most popular dude on this podcast, has actually been named captain of the South Sydney Rabbitohs since um, they are arresting Adam Reynolds. And honestly, the c- career progression of this bloke has been incredible especially in the last 18 months and I couldn't have been happier going to a greater, um, nicer bloke and it's definitely off the back of his two try effort last week so congratulations Mark Nichols not Darren and I wish you all the best in your first captaincy and um, I hope it gets all the accolades going to him moving forward okay so going on for a fun little light-hearted fact to a pretty serious one, um, especially for people's lives because, you know, these guys are going to be struggling to find a contract and find a livelihood next year. So the Bulldogs have announced that they're not renewing the contracts of up to 12 players. Um, and they are Dylan Napa, Will Hopawade, Lachlan Lewis, Nick Meany, Randolph Atoni, Sione Katoa, Dean Brick, Chris Smith, James Ramanos, Brad Dietz, Wilson Helleter, and Kiko Mano. So just remember that Nick Meany has already has already been signed by the Melbourne Storm. So he has got a contract moving forward. But players like Dylan Napa, Will Hopalata, you know, twilight of these guys' career, um, unless they go overseas, they might struggle to pick up another contract. Um, oh, sorry, Will Hopalata's gone to the French Union, but you know, and then they got the young guys there, Lachlan Lewis, Randolph Tony, 
Sione Katoa, Dean Britt, you know, played oh, 20 to 30 games in first grade. Um, so Bulldogs are obviously struggling. The legitimate talents of these blokes can't be measured about the last couple of years. Um, they've all had a crack, but they're just surrounded. Like, you know, there's only, what, max two, three legitimate first graders in this team. So they're not having that ability to learn NRL and learn how to play top flight NRL. They're expected to debut and be superstars and which is completely unrealistic. So I'm really hoping some of these young blokes um, pick up. So, you know, like Lachlan Lewis, despite the fact what we said about him last podcast, despite the fact he steals stereos, which was going to heavily move against him, but he is a quality player. Dean Britt, workhorse, definitely a depth player, but he'll be picked up by another club. Um, Renoff Tony, great player. Sione Katoa, rate him. Don't know too much about Watson Haleta and Kiko Manu, but I really hope these guys pick up another contract for a team who's, yes, at the start, it's going to be a depth signing, but pick them up later to really show what they can actually do because... You know, they've got the talent there. Let's just hope they can, um, someone can grow it moving forward. So keep keep an eye on that space because a lot of players, a lot of teams are going to go back and, you know, look through all these guys' um, previous game tapes and stuff like that and see if they can pick these guys up. So it's a bit of going to be a, um, a signing screen in the next couple of weeks. And then if the NRL teams don't pick them up, keep an eye on the cute cup because they will always... Um, they'll pick these guys up eventually. Hopefully they, um, you know, hopefully they can stay in footy. Okay. The next big news coming forward will be the, um, we've talked a bit about it. We've kept a pretty close eye on it. And we talked about how last week the Ipswich Jets and the Brisbane Firehawks have actually um, met to combine their assets to have a joint bid to take on Redcliffe Dolphins. It's come out. This morning, actually, that the Jets have actually said no to the Firehawks. So now they're going through three independent factions up to the NRL. Um, I think that's a hammer blow to both of them. So combined, they probably had a bit more assets than the Redcliffe Dolphins. But in the harsh reality is that the more this goes on, the more stable Redcliffe look. And I'll be interested to see what Adam says about this just because um, he does believe Redcliffe are going to be the next team to come in. But as we said, we've been following this pretty closely and he would have more of the more information on the figures and all that kind of stuff to moving forward to see what um, the teams are pitching essentially. So we, we also talked a couple of weeks ago about the fact that they haven't had a chance to Oh, sorry, they wouldn't have had a chance to look at the players um, who they want to sign. So they're, they're just essentially scrambling to get the, the money, the investors, the logistical plan of having an NRL club down pat. So if they don't have all that, and the fact that they actually met to potentially um, combine assets, 
is a chink in their arm and say, you know what, we're not we're not competing with Redcliffe. Let's go together. And Ipswich pulling out. What does that mean? So keep an eye on it, um, and we'll just um, keep you updated as moving forward. Okay, so next one. This is going to go really quick because it's funny not having um, each other bounce off each other. So generally, this would have taken about half an hour, 45 minutes for this part of us just talking shit. But um, now we're up to injury designers because that was the biggest thing, biggest couple of things that happened in the last two days. So for for signings, Lachlan Fitzgibbon um, recommits to Newcastle um, to the end of 2023. Um Look, I think it's a depth, depth signing. We've got a lot of good second rows. Frizzell, Barnett, Brody Jones, Jack Johns. Um, you know, Newcastle are pr- pretty well stocked in that. And I think that having a guy who's played close to 100 games um, would be a very... It's a very good signing to bring him on when needed because... I think in the last 18 months, he's actually gone backwards in his footy trying to be too fancy where he he debuted as such a hard-running player, but now he's trying to pass and all that kind of stuff. If he goes back to what he was and builds off that, I think he has a hell of a lot of potential. Uh, for Cronulla, Maween Hiroti has signed a one-year contract extension with, with them. Um, he's made 15 appearances in the last two years. And he'll be a really good signing moving forward. Very solid winger, short, stocky bloke, but can create space and create opportunities on that flank for Cronulla. Um, and then the biggest signing definitely would be the fact that Gold Coast have re-signed Moeka Fodawaka to the end of 2024. Um, obviously, he's played for Maroons. He's played 75 games for Gold Coast. And um, that's a that's a great Great signing moving forward to build his team around. Um, yeah, so that's all the signings coming forward. I was going to touch on injuries, but in all reality, I don't actually know, and no one actually does, which players have been rested for injury and which players have been rested for just to be rested. So we'll leave that alone as because, as I said, there's going to be a lot of juniors and Young fellas debuting this round um, and we're mainly going to spend time on the big games that are actually going to influence the eight. So, you know, the Cronulla, the Gold Coast, the Canberra games. So we'll see it. We'll spend a bit more time on them than usual because obviously um, the rest of the games, yes, they're on, but they're more of a the C junior talent and to, for coaches to see combinations flourish just before the finals. I hope we get a bit of form. So yeah, that's all to start out. That's the big hits. That's news. That's injury uh, signings and all that kind of stuff. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow night with the update and the surprise guest and Adam. See you guys. Okay, we are here for the 6 a.m. podcast, which is Thursday night now. Thank you to Jared for doing our intro sorry i couldn't make it uh to be on the conversation last night uh jared has expressed how awkward it is sitting there recording and talking about stuff by yourself yeah and adam still hasn't listened to it guys don't worry he's he'll, over the moon figure that it i'm out. here with him <laughs> he'll, he'll you'll get a response next podcast let's put it that way that's it and what we're going to start with on tonight's episode is jump straight into an interview that we just completed with 
guy called Andrew, won't throw out his last name, but he's goes by the rugby league eye test on Twitter and the rugby league eye test.com uh, is his own website. Analytics man, huge rugby league fan. It was an amazing interview, such a different insight to rugby league. Uh, we had lots of fun talking to him. He's a really nice guy uh, in lockdown in Sydney at the moment. So he's doing it tough with two young kids, but he, he gave up over an hour of his time. And we looked at rugby league in a way that we haven't looked at it before. So I hope you really enjoy the interview and we'll see you on the other side. So we are here with Andrew. We won't throw out his uh, last name for, I don't know, security reasons, but he does go by the rugby league eye test on Twitter. And we, he also has a website, um, which is rugbyleagueeyetest.com. And basically he blends statistics with rugby league and looks at the game a little bit differently to perhaps the general fan, although he is a fan of rugby league. And Jared's going to shake his head when he finds out who Andrew's team is. Um, but we'll welcome into the show. Jared is here. Um, how are you going, Andrew? I'm doing really well, thanks. And appreciate you guys giving me the time to come on the podcast today. Jared, how are you going? Yeah, mate, I'm good. Um, we just had a bit of a chat before it. And I, don't, I reckon if Adam wasn't already married, he would have proposed to Andrew at this point. Like, they're, they're, this is going to be fantastic. I just realized I was laughing at my mute button on. So, <laughs> yeah, all the, all the pre-interview uh, chat, we'll get to that as well. Um, but straight off the bat, Andrew, who's your team? Uh, so for the probably uh, not a bad thing this week, but wasn't a great thing a few weeks ago. I'm a Parramatta Eels fan, unfortunately. Oh Jesus Christ! Because <laughs> Jared's older brother's a Parra fan, and oh man, <laughs> we only hear from him when they're winning. But uh, yeah, yeah. We, he sends us a really long message when they win. I'm like, oh, oh, here we go. Yeah. Here, I I expect to hear from him when Parramatta win. So he would have been pretty pretty weeks. quiet the past few weeks until they played. Melbourne. Oh yeah, 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 that's what I said. He's in hibernation. <laughs> so. Um, statistics in rugby league what came first how did they blend how did this whole thing come about uh well probably rugby league for, came first and uh as i said a paramount fan that i've been since very very young age um and I've the 2001 been... no no longer than that unfortunately i don't want to date myself um <laughs> too bad i'm but, a nice uh, fan yes i know uh, yeah that that grand final will always uh be a bit painful for me uh, but I grew up as a, always an Eels fan and we lived through some pretty pretty bad times in the uh, the mid-90s but thankfully they improved a little bit over uh, towards that and into 2001 wasn't a great ending but can't win everything um, so yeah Eels fan that came first um, also a US sports fan mostly basketball and so that's also been a big passion of mine and uh, we were talking before the podcast about how how well and integrated statistics and analytics are in, in, in professional American sports and specifically the NBA and that sort of led into statistics rugby league. And so I've always been a fan of both games. And the I guess one of the ways to use statistics with rugby league was fantasy sports. And so I started with uh, Supercoach and later NRL Fantasy and started doing things for that and doing my own analysis and sort of putting them together my own data sets and having a look and got into that and started thinking there's, there's a lot of information here that you don't really hear about, you don't really see talked about in the media, especially traditional media now. Uh, so I started putting it together and the guys at the NRL Supercoach Talk website and fantastic guys, they gave me a spot to do their buy, sell, hold article and post a few other things. So started doing some writing on that and that led into looking at the 
it statistics, statistics a little bit more and yeah sort of got into my thought you know I, I like doing this I'm enjoying it there's not a lot of it going around so I thought why don't I start my own website and uh, sort of try and expand the the use of it in the media I I love how casual and humble that was. I just did this, 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 this. You were, so you're writing for NRL Supercoach on the buy, swap and sell. Do I hear that right? Yeah. So you're, that's yeah, sick. yeah, that's, uh, yeah. So you see my handle, Carlos Dwarf at uh, NRL Supercoach Talk. Uh, uh, Nick and Wannon gave me a chance to do, write some stuff there. So I've been doing that for a few years. Um, and that's, that's sort of, yeah, just started everything. And when you look at fantasy sports, a lot of the, the, the analysis is sort of bottom up. So you see a lot of talk about players and a little bit about teams, but I started to, when I was doing it, I started to look from sort of top-down perspective and that relates to the, my job. I'm a data analyst by trade. So one of the ways we'd look at things in markets, we'd, you look in a market, say, okay, here's the size of the market. Here's the, the, the players in the market. Here's their products. You cut them down there by different features. So I sort of applied that to rugby league. It's like, okay, what's the overall rugby league uh, stats look like? Uh, how many uh, tackles per game? How many meters being run? How many tries are scored? Penalties conceded? That sort of thing. Then which teams are doing it and why are the teams doing it are particular players running more uh, tackling more giving away more penalties making more errors that sort of stuff so just sort of flipped it a little bit um and that yeah sort of gave me my own little niche so, so you go joe sorry so so with you know in the last what probably since 2000 really statistics have become a, like a major part of not only rugby league coaching but media all that kind of stuff um you know, you've got statisticians doing, helping, like they'd be within the bubble for these teams right now. They'd bring them with them from Sydney and all that kind of stuff. Um, has anyone ever reached out to you to, I don't know, use your stats as an individual team or player or anything like that? And yeah, as a meet, as like mainstream media ever reached out? Because your stats, like if you look behind Adam right now, the the dot dot system with Tomalolo, Clemmer, Marju and all that kind of stuff, like I read there and I'm like, well, I wouldn't be, I'm really surprised that guy's got that particular stats and he rivals that bloke. Has anyone actually contacted you about that? Uh, I don't want to give out any, any like to tip anyone off or anything. I mean, I have had a few people in clubs and um, uh, in the league get in contact with me, not about using it, but just about talking through things, um, especially with the set restart data last year. Um, the Sydney Morning Herald, um, Adam Pingilly did a great story on set restarts about two or three weeks ago and they used a little bit of my data uh, analysis not necessarily my data because i use it the nrl's data so it's their, their data but some of the analysis i did and a, a couple of quotes on restarts so the mainstream media is starting to pick up on a little bit but um yeah me media and teams occasionally will get in contact just to ask a few questions and things um, awesome. but yeah not necessarily teams using using my data because as you said a lot of them have got they've got play people inside doing that sort of thing and they've got more data than i have um significantly more plus they've got their own player um, gps data as well so yeah they you just seem to look at it a different way than I've ever seen. Um, and even the media, like Channel 9 comes up with that VB Harden index. You don't actually know what the hell that is. They don't, I don't know, know what the hell is. that is. <laughs> yeah, and that's my point. Like, there's, do you know what it is? Yeah, I do. I do sort of know the, the, the basics behind it. I don't pay a lot of attention to it because one, one of the things that I like to look at, and this goes back to the NBA and overseas stats, is that we, we still look at a lot of raw counting stats for rugby league. So you still say this player did, uh, you know, had yeah. 240 run meters. He had 40 tackles, uh, three offloads. Uh, we're looking at total numbers, and that's obviously going to benefit players who play a lot of minutes. Whereas if you look in the the way professional sports overseas look at it, mm. something like the NBA will talk about you know, points per possession or um, uh, rebound rates or um, you know just you know, things like that, shooting percentages from different areas on the field. 
and or per, you know, even just put something as simple as per 36 minutes. So looking yeah. at uh, what the average player might score over uh, that period of time. We don't have those sort of things. So that's sort of one of the things I started doing was having a look at some sort of advanced stats that I sort of made up myself that I really from um, to try and get an unrated compared to somebody who plays 80 minutes. And obviously it's a high, higher, but how much higher? Who's the player that surprised you the most with the stats you use? Um, surprised me the most. I I think that's, that's, a, that's a good question because I, 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 I guess um, I'm just trying to bring something up to have a look at it. I guess um, it's hard. Uh, Put him on the spot there. I like that one. One thing I was not thinking of doing. So if you just give me a second, I'll bring someone up and and I'll I'll, uh, have uh, probably. The Adam and Pet. I've I've got one that's going to uh, go both ways. So, and it'll get back to the name of the site as well. So, one of the players that actually probably doesn't fare too badly statistically is Mitchell Pierce. Uh, He does does a lot of things. Um, Yeah. Does an incredible lot of things. Um, But that's also because he touches the ball a lot. So he's, he's commanding possession so much. Um, so his numbers aren't, aren't bad. And if you look at some of the, the stats I've got, they're, they're pretty pretty good. But one of the reasons I call it the eye test, I thought, you know, it's a, you know ironic name given that I'm looking at statistics, whereas a lot of, you know, the traditional old heads in rugby league will still say, you know, use the eye test rather than having, you know, some hard numbers in front of them. And I think there's a good, as an approach, having a combination of both. But um, for me, when you look at some of the things that Pierce does, they may not necessarily be useful for a team, but he does put up good numbers. So maybe he's one that sort of surprised me numbers wise, not necessarily um, in a bad or good way, but maybe sort of framed the, the way I thought of him in slightly different. Look, uh, let's be honest. He's better than Mitch Moses. Well, Mitch Moses is a pretty good kicker. Um, <laughs> <laughs> long, I'm not even going to jump. That's great. Um, outside of that, the, he has his ups and downs. Yeah. Yeah. Nah. And I'll, um, I, I'm, I think I'll take Cherry Evans over both. So. Oh, walk away. Yeah, I, I think that's a pretty pretty safe bet. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So um, a few of the things you've said there, Jared's questions. I'm with regards to US sports, baseball and ice hockey are my two favorites, which is quite funny when it comes to stats because baseball's hmm. it's like their Bible, whereas ice hockey's still very, very old school. Like they people that follow hockey refer to the GMs and the owners as the old boys club in that hmm. Some of them literally make million dollar decisions based on, oh, that guy looks like a good player and just have no interest in this new age thing with statistics. And they find it difficult as well because of the fact that players are on for 20 seconds, 40 seconds of a 60 minute game. So they do things like points per 60 minutes or goals per 60 and have to stretch out the data, which is similar to what you were saying with regards, we've got interchange. I saw on one of the graphs you did, um, I was reading through the article and you were looking at passes per passes versus run with regards to centers and second rowers. Yes. And um, you and Aikens had the most runs with, uh, with the smallest amount of passes last season. And one that surprised me on the graph was Tavita Pangai Jr. With regards to the amount of passes he was doing per run, which I thought was really high for him. Yeah, so out of 14, 14 yeah, you runs, got to throw effective in there and it just kind of... No, but even just using the ball, for every 14 runs he has, he's passing the ball six times as well, which is a 
I thought like a quite a high rate. I wasn't surprised when Josh Schuster, who was up there, or Jack Bird, but Tavita Pango <laughs> stood out. Because in my head, I'm just thinking of him just getting the ball and running. So I found that as a bit of a surprise. Yeah, but I mean, he's got. Yeah, he I mean he's just a really high offloading rate though. I know earlier in the season he was um, tied with uh, Christian Welsh, I think it was at some one point for most offloads. So that that general passing includes offloads, I believe. So oh, okay. That's why. So you're looking at offloads. So it's it's like any sort of pass. So it's whether it's a you know pushing it out to men outside or um, uh, an, an offload, as said, effective or ineffective. That sort of comes into it as well. So when you think of it in that way, it probably paints a better picture for Pangos. Yes. So you, you, you do expect that, whereas you don't sort of expect him just to be you know, shoveling the ball on, say, like a Jake Trubovic. Yes, too much. Um, <laughs> I, I love, and on that same graph, so I don't know if I did a very good uh, job of explaining it, but it's average passes versus average runs in a game. So the centres in the game who pass pretty much the least compared to how much they run, Jesse Ramian jumped out to me as well is um, when Jared was saying, do you have a, a player that surprises you? When you watch the game and whether you've got commentary on or not, is there some things that they say based on what they're seeing and you're sitting back going, yeah, that's not even close to what he's doing this season? Uh, so if they say, time. like, this guy's a great passer and he always sets up his man or something like that and you're going... He's possible like four times this year. Yeah, it's, I think the one that usually comes up is they talk about someone being a strong defender when they just make a lot of tackles. Um, I'm, I'm probably not thinking of any straight off my head, but that's one that always always sort of like raises my eyebrow. I think in terms of that, it's necessarily probably more uh, um, a team-based thing. And the one that always gets me, and I wrote an article on it earlier this year, is, com- is completion rates. But to me, they're probably the most, not to say the most meaningless stat, but they don't hold a lot of meaning. Um, you know, the Roosters won a lot of their titles in the last couple of years having pretty poor conversion rates, sort of in the mid to low 70s. Most penalties season, you see, as well. Yeah, exactly. And you see teams like Canterbury this year, got a, oh, this year and last year, and probably mm. the previous year as well, under Dean Pay, had a really high conversion rate, uh, completion rate, sorry. But it's just because they're not throwing the ball around, they're not taking any risks. So there's a fine line between holding the ball just for holding the ball's sake and trying to have a get to the end of your sets. But there's also the Roosters side of it where they probably do throw the ball a li- bit more creates a few more errors, but when it pays off, they do score, uh, end up scoring more points. So, yeah, I think, on, uh, I mean, commentators these days uh, for NRL um, games are not necessarily the, the best feature of the game, and there's a lot of strange things being said by a few in particular. But, yes. um, yeah, it's usually the, those, those sort of things, like things that don't necessarily mean a lot uh, are implied to mean a lot. Okay, so with that, Obviously, um, a lot of people read stats and go, oh, yeah, as you said, completion rate's high. That's really good. What's an underutilized stat that you believe should be used more effectively as a performance indicator? That's, um, can I just jump in on that one, Joe? Because that's very similar mm-hmm. question I was asking as well. In ice hockey, they use something called Corsi, uh, which is basically, I'm going to try and blend what you were saying to Jared's question. With regards to completion rates, I 100% understand that you can have a high completion rate with no chance of scoring because it's non-risky. So Corsi looks at creating chances, being effective, so putting players in good positions to score even if they don't. So those sort of things are still counted in a percentage. So you can have a team with a low percentage but, say, a high um, efficiency rate of creating chances. So 
that kind of thing that ties into what Jared's saying is there a stat that's underutilized. We look at completion rates where we should be actually looking at how many tries is this team setting themselves up to score even if they don't or something along those lines. Yeah, it's a little difficult. One of the things is I only use the public, publicly available data. So I'm using what's available on the NRL website or the Fox Sports website, just whatever's there. And I know that the NRL and the teams have a lot more information. I know one of the ones that they have that I'd love to have a look at is um, there's a, like a meters gain post offload. So if you're looking at someone like Pangai, when they're offloading the ball, here's what the average meters are from the player who's received off that offload. Because if you look at a lot of passes, I mean, to me, Paul Gallon was a really key proponent of this is just he was offloading for offloading sake and you'd you know, drop a ball back a couple of meters to someone who wasn't even moving mm. whereas you get someone the you'll see those sort of runs where you see Ryan Pappenhausen go through the middle for the storm he's catching an offload off someone or getting an inside pass um, so I think yeah that meters up after offloads and the other one that um, that comes up with something that I've heard the storm look at a lot um, and it's sort of similar to the advanced stats that I, that I put together is they look at uh, sort of efforts per minute so looking at how often players are doing things. So looking at runs like or kick that. pressures or supports, or decoys, how often per minute they're doing them. Um, uh, so I think that's that's the sort of thing. I think you're look, looking at sort of the, the effort from teams and uh, is what they're doing actually producing something. So an offload is great, but if you're not getting anything out of it, what's the, the point of having an offload? I know that, again, the Eels have been a the big offloading team over the past few years. And someone like Clint Gutherson's really... Um, Benefit. Uh, really, it benefited off that, yeah. But sometimes, you know, a pass will go backwards off the ground or it's going to someone who's not in a position to improve the ball. So it's sort of a, a bit of, I don't want to say junk stat, but it's it's not not that useful. It's, it's like a lot of rugby league stats. They're not useful without the context. So knowing what the result is of an offload, I think that's a really important one. Is that, I think there's in that, in the fantasy league now, you've got offload and effective offload. Would that be linking to something like that? And they're just not kind of releasing the data behind it uh yeah to an extent i think an ineffective offload is one that goes to ground and i think effective goes straight to the hands um so it's that's, that's, literally that's again so i believe so i'm not 100 sure that's that I've, I've heard that bandied around but um yeah i mean there's a lot of stuff that the nrl captures that isn't produced publicly um so yeah we could we could there's a lot more data we could be seeing and that's, i don't understand the reasons behind the reasons behind it. it's a commercial decision um, but they could be doing a lot better. You, you, I was just watching your face then. You look like <laughs> how I feel when students ask me um, a question where my opinion may differ to, say, Queensland Education, my employer. And um, I'm kind of yeah. saying, all right, I've got to choose my words. I really want to say something, but I don't. When it comes to the release of information, you said there you understand why, but it's also your body language is also showing just release the damn data so you can see more about yeah, it. So, yeah. <clears throat> I think there's probably a, a happy medium somewhere in that they don't need to release everything, but there's definitely a few more things they could be releasing that, that would be really useful. Like I don't expect them to release the coordinate data of where you know, all the play the balls and things like that are happening on the ground, but mm. there's a few extra statistics I think they could do. But the, the reasoning behind my body language is that, I, as I said, I'm a data analyst by trade and I've worked with major companies who syndicate and sell their data to other companies around the world. And so I understand from a commercial point of view that whoever's the team, company that's tracking that data for the NRL, that's their commercial property and they want to yeah, sell okay. it and they want to make the best out, money out of it. And so releasing a lot of it to the public is going to not, not necessarily devalue it, but uh, it's going to make it a little bit more challenging. But I think on the, the flip side of that is that from the NRL's point of view, there's so much benefit from getting that data out and getting more people looking at yes. it. That's one of the things that promoted the rise of analytics with, with the NBA, especially is just having so much data available. You had so many sites 
and people just looking at it? Um, oh, I'm jumping between. So obviously, so obviously, data is not a not a job for you. You must love it. Like, where, what sparked the original interest? Well, I mean, it, it is a job for me. That's like, I mean, I do data analysis. Data analysis is my full time. But you job, do data analysis at work, and then you go home yeah. and do this. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, it's not a. It's not. I don't. I mean, I don't do it for a sport related field, so it's not not tied in in that way. The, one of the other reasons I started doing it, and this is um, didn't mention this before, is that it was a way for me to train doing some new things for work. So learning like a um, coding language like Python or doing some visualizations with a data set that I understood. So I thought, you know, if I want to pull out this data, and I've got it for work, I may not necessarily know what the outcome might be but if i'm pulling some rugby league data i can go okay i want to look at who's which team has scored the most tries over the last five years and plot it into a graph using python or using some other code or um, visualization tool i know what the output should look like so therefore i can understand yeah if i'm doing it the right way so that's sort of the way i mean it's it's i mean it's a way also a way of sort of having a bit of a hobby of like in, involving rugby league and what i do for work and sort of crossing that over too so uh, there's no, a, whole different a reason, bunch of reasons yeah it's awesome the the fact that you can you, you've wanted to what improve yourself by by including something you love that's 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 amazing that's something that we all should be doing too bad i i can't right now my job but you know it is what it is that's kind of what we do here like that's one of the reasons i started the podcast jared and i used to talk footy party beers, in the morning barbecue, whatever and like oh we might as well just talk to each other on here and other people can listen if uh, they've literally got nothing else to do um you said something in the happy medium and I think what I love about statistics and articles that you write and um, we'll talk about the athletic I guess the uh, websites in the US and UK at the moment in that I can then go to the website I've got the love for sport but being a teacher by trade I also love learning and this just opens up an entire new way of watching sport and, and learning about sport and then talking about sport it's generally through twitter and social media for us sports do you <laughs> find yourself um this is a personal thing for me but i want to see if it's the same for me do you find yourself watching uh, rugby league or basketball differently um based on either a who's playing whether you're a fan or whether you're watching it and analyzing at the same time Stan, I do like there'd be just little probably the little things that I've picked up doing my analysis that I wasn't probably paying attention to before. Like um, I guess I mean set restarts are a big thing. And so I sort of, you know, you see one given and then a couple of tackles later you see it not given for a pretty similar thing, or noticing, hey, there's all these set restarts being given on you know, 10 meters out on the first or second tackle, that sort of thing. Just things that I wouldn't normally pick up, but because I've been looking at the data for it and say, oh, that's actually what's happening. Um, I mean, going back to, I think I mentioned um, Jake Trebojevic before, but just looking, you know, knowing he's got a pretty low metres per carry run, um, average and you sort of see, then you look at the way that he operates within the manly um, structure and you say, okay, that makes sense as to why he's got such a low metres per carry. Um, he's not doing the same sort of running as someone say like a Jason Taumalolo. So um, yeah, I mean, when I watch Eels games, I don't, I try to turn that, that, that bit off. Um, uh, if they start going, start losing, then I'll probably turn it back on a bit. Yeah, to, to say, find, you don't want to be find, find some much. sort of enjoyment. Yeah, so <laughs> I guess it's a, a way of adding um, a, another way of looking at the game. Um, but yeah, it doesn't doesn't necessarily change how I look at it overall. But uh, little things inside games still sort of pick up and think, oh, I didn't realize that before, but now I know it. I can see it happening. 
So there, are there mates and family members that just go, all right, the game's on. I'm not watching it with Andrew because he's going <laughs> to talk and like pick up things. Like my wife doesn't mind, but I'll say something that the commentator oh. will say a few seconds later or something. And that gets her interest more than the game sometimes. No, we'll but see. There, there is Jared a rule. can be so annoying to watch some sports <laughs> with because he is. I just know Eric. No, oh, me, Adam refu- Adam's wife Maddie refuses to watch football with me and Adam because we just sit there and bounce off each other the whole time. Um, but but yeah, it, it, I was saying, like, do you have family members or friends that are be like, um, Andrew can sit there, wife- someone can sit here, I'll sit here. <laughs> and my wife knows what I do, and she's she's all very supportive of it. Um, she doesn't. Yeah, I, I sort of don't. When I'm watching games, I sort of try and watch the games and not not bring it up like if someone's talking to me about i'll talk to them about football i won't say i won't go into the analytic side of it because i know it's not for everyone and i don't want to um you know come across as trying to turn so i know i know all this stuff about rugby league so i'd rather just sort of sit and watch it enjoy it enjoy it with the mates or my family and uh and just sort of enjoy that moment and then after the game i might sort of have to think about it and maybe say a few things but yeah sort of try and keep it out of that that game watching experience well, Century is more mature than both of us. Yeah, <laughs> I'm trying to be at least. <laughs> so this this might be a it's a pointed question for a reason. This may be a harsh answer. Uh, it may be. Do you find because of the traditional supporter base fan base um, of rugby league that analytics and, and pages like this? are going to remain niche uh, for fans for quite a long time because of the, the working class background of rugby league, the, the blue collar as opposed to the white collar work and the traditions that are based on that. Um, they'll say, I know that guy's a good player because I've seen him do this and we'll just disregard anything else. Is that something that you've found? Do you think that's something that is evolving? Um, I th- think the thing for me is that, I wouldn't necessarily like, I don't want to say put the blame on the fans. I don't think there's any, like fans are, are um, so consuming what's given to them. So they're, they're seeing what's in the telegraph, they're seeing what's in the, on given to them on Channel 9 and Fox. And it's a pretty uh, dated and um, safe uh, approach to rugby league. And that's fine. I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell anyone, this is how you should enjoy rugby league, or this is the things that you should be looking at. I think the, 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 we could move a little bit forward, but um, I think, as long as there's options for people and i mean one of the great things at the moment is there's so much quality independent rugby league journalism going mm. um you know you mentioned um i don't know if it was on the podcast or just before you mentioned liam at pythago nrl who yeah. does an amazing job uh, jason oliver at rugby league writers um there's uh elliot richardson who does uh, rugby league monthly who's puts out some amazing interviews and stories that the sort of things you wouldn't see um in mainstream media because they're not going to sell papers, but they're fantastic stories. Um, and there's countless others that I'm, I'm not mentioning. Uh, League Whistle, um, Paul. Yeah. I'm going to forget his last name now. Man, Paul at League Whistle uh, does uh, yeah. Northern Beaches Tribune, stuff like that as well. So, yeah. Yeah. So it's sort of almost like um, sort of hyper local type news that you mm. get um, sort of through like Facebook facebook groups and stuff like that is that there's sort of a bit of that in rugby league at the moment and it's and it's great but yeah it probably is going to stay niche at least in the little sort of short to medium term because we really need that mainstream media or at least one partner to sort of really start driving it um and you know they occasionally dabble into it the abc's done a quite a bit this year with jack snape who's been doing some great stories uh, with some data from the nrl 
um, but it's oh, not. Yeah, definitely check out the Jack's work on the ABC site. He does some some fantastic stuff. Um, the there just isn't that that main uh, uh, broadcast partner or media partner driving it. And uh, I mean, you can sort of see it. The interesting thing to me was when Cooper Cronk started on Fox Sports. He was just amazing. Yeah, uh, yeah you know, we love him. Yeah, and the comparisons with Tony Romo from the from the NFL, just how you yes. sort of seeing things happen. And, but even you sort of see, and especially on Twitter, people mention you. Cooper Crocs still really good. He's still fantastic, but he's sort of doing a bit of the the blokey stuff that you see from the other commentators, which is a bit disappointing. I, I think there's just a, a set way of doing things in rugby league media, and um, we just have to sort of uh, wait that out. So you mentioned, obviously, yeah, Jared. Go so on. obviously they wouldn't release it, but have you ever been curious about individualizing referees and their decisions they make? Um. Like how often? I do track some of the. I do track refs and referee stats, and occasionally I'll put them in the article. So I do say this is who's giving the most set restarts. Um, This is giving the most penalties. Um, So one of the things I was looking at last year that was really interesting was that Adam G was just the the king of set restarts. He would give so many away in the first half and rarely any in the second half. So it was just it was and that was interesting to me. And and I know a couple of guys I'd speak to would be talking about you know if they're looking at betting overs, they'd be looking at who the ref is. And it was Adam G. They'd be like, okay, first half, yep, we know we're going to get a good score because there's going to be plenty of restarts. Um, I try to shy away from talking about refereeing decisions and how they might impact the game. I like looking at say this referee's profile is that he calls a lot of set restarts. Whether or not that influences a game or influences a score, I try to keep away from that because I think. The referees cop yeah. a lot of criticism and you've seen some of that come out with Matt Checking this week. Um, and I think they've been, they're trying to do the best they can being dealt a really dud hand this year with uh, interpretations and rule changes. And compounding that is cutting their workforce by 50% last year, going dropping back to one referee. So if they had more support, they had two referees and a better implementation and more support from their administration, I think uh, I'd be a little bit more I'd be a little more prone to talk about how that might influence games, but I think they're doing a great job given the certain circumstances. And I don't think I, I don't want to be in a position to say how they're performing um, as a whole. It's probably a long winded so, answer to say, like, I, I, I don't you have morals. From a data analysis point of view. So we always said that when a new rule comes in, so for example, six again, that the, the coaches are going to sit down and come up, come up with a way to manipulate it. From your perspective, when a new sweeping rule gets changed in the NRL, which Adam said it happens way too often from a lot of people's perspective, do you sit down and go, okay, what's the best way to analyze this? Or do you have to watch a few games to really get a feel of how it's going? Or what's your perspective on how you get data from different rule changes and how it changes the game? So I'll always look at the end of each round, I'll have a look and see what the, the numbers were. Um, but I sort of, I like to let it play out a bit because one of the things I don't want to create um, conclusions from is small sample sizes. And so if you're looking at a round, a round of games, that's eight games, the overall, that's you know, not a, a big sample size. I'd rather sort of wait three or four weeks and see what the trend is. And then I'll see what the overall trend is for the NRL. And then I might look at a few teams. Um, and again, I might want to wait a few weeks from that. Uh, probably different on a, if I'm looking at a player or an individual basis, if you're looking at, say, number of runs, you know, you, the teams are running 150, you know, there's about 150 play the balls per team in a game. So that's a pretty good sample size from one game. Whereas if you're looking at games, though, you've got 
three or four games that necessarily could flow either way, depending on opponents mm. and things. So I like to sort of, yeah, let's sit back a little bit. I'll say here's some sort of instant conclusions, but I don't, I don't want to say they're set in stone until I've seen a few more games and that trend sort of bears out. Um, and that's yeah, what happened with set restarts. Two years ago, you would have had this book and how you do it. It would have been all set in concrete. Six game rule comes in, out the window, down the creek, into the gutter. Like the whole, whole the whole game changed since that six game rule. And would you believe that from a from a data analysis perspective? That's changed yeah, that much. That was the sort of thing that got me started with the side. Is that I was doing this, I was doing all this work and mostly for super coach related because I was playing fantasy and writing about it for super coach talk and. Um, I started doing a bit more and a bit more and then I started looking at set restarts when they came in and said, okay, set restarts came in this week, runs, overall runs or runs were down, et cetera, looking at sort of things. And frustrated. And probably stopped. That's awkward. Yeah. Um, Oh, so to get to, I'll just go back straight into it. To get back into set restarts, um, last year when they um, introduced the set restarts, the first couple of rounds, it was interesting to see, you know, there wasn't too many called, wasn't it a big thing. And then sort of rounds four and five, uh, sorry, rounds five and six, the second and third and fourth round, sorry, when the restarts came in, they sort of doubled instantly. And so that was the week you sort of realized, okay, we've instantly jumped to twice as many restarts. That's the week that coaches have worked out how they can game this system. They've realized that, the penalty for conceding a set restart is minimal. The advantages for consistently, you know, interfering in the ruck are quite beneficial. And so if, you're only cool. get, if you're only going to get called four or five times a game to maintain field position and lock teams down in their own uh, area or slow their momentum, why wouldn't you do it all the time? Like the, the punishment doesn't fit the crime. Um, so just being able to see how those teams do it. And there's a few charts I post occasionally where you can see I post uh, net set restarts. So how many the team has conceded versus how many they've been awarded. And so last year, Penrith were horrendous at giving them away. Um, and again, that's probably their strategy. So they at one point were like minus 25. So they'd given away 25 more set restarts than they've been awarded. Whoa. Uh, Melbourne, similar. This year, it's flipped around. Penrith are really uh, quite positive on that. They're, I think, about plus 10 or plus 15. Whereas Melbourne, again, is still minus 25 um, or minus 26. They're quite low. So they've sort of, Penrith sort of changed it. I think they do it quite tactically. They give them away occasionally as teams are coming out of their own area. I think Melbourne sort of push the boundaries quite often and they'll sort of bear whatever um, punishment they get because I think they believe in their defence. Risk it for the biscuit. Um, yeah. Pretty much that conversation has directed us to uh, Andrew's latest article. And I wanted to ask you a few questions about that. So it's titled, I'm mainly the third legitimate grand final contender. Oh, and NRL round 24, 2021 stats and trends. See how he like did his head thing before I finished the title. And <laughs> there's actually a graph on there called net set restarts versus net margin. Um, yep. Do you want to explain what, what this is about basically? Just, yeah, just so, for, can uh, I say just for people listening, it's set up in like a Cartesian plane. So like four, four quarters, four quadrants. Great. That, you've explained it much better than I than I, I probably could. That's the, the, yeah. the fantastic teaching work you, you, you've got there. So I, yeah, I, I wouldn't have been able to use that phrase for it, but I do understand that's what it is. Um, anyway, so yeah, so it's looking at... Um, yes. net, Point for me. Net, <laughs> so net restarts, as I mentioned before, like the 
number awarded versus minus number of conceded. So are teams conceding more restarts than they're giving or are they receiving more than they're, they're um, conceding? And then the, just their overall margin. So, you know, Melbourne's plus, um, you know, 8,000 points or whatever it is this year. Um, they've done really well. Um, the chart I've got in the, the post this week is actually from round six to 24 because that was about when Manly started to turn around their season. They didn't have a great first month of the season. Round six, Tom Trevojevic came back. There were a few other squad changes. Um, and they sort of picked things up. I know they've had a pretty soft draw since then, but still they're not too far behind Melbourne in total margin since then. Um, and there's on this chart, you can see there's a sort of quadrant for where teams are conceding a lot of set restarts, but they're also uh, winning games by a lot of points. And Melbourne and Manly just sit in there by themselves. There's no one else within any, and like not even close to them. Um, and the other sort of major contenders, Souths, Penrith, Parramatta and the Roosters are sitting in the other half of the chart where they're not really conceding more restarts than they um, are being awarded, but they're, they're still winning by decent margins, but nothing to the rate of Manly and Melbourne. So it was really just seeing how close Manly and Melbourne were in, in this chart, uh, sort of playing, I'm going to say a similar style of football, but having a similar results from uh, some parts of their games that um, made me think, you know, they're probably the one that could jump into that top two with Penrith and Melbourne. Uh, I think everyone else has sort of got a few too many question marks, whereas Manly at least haven't shown anything that would, put a question mark on them other than Tom Trebojevic not playing. And well, I'll take that because we can say that for every team. Um, down the bottom right, so the bottom right quadrant says not conceding and losing. So yeah. um, they're not giving away many, but they're still losing games. And in there, you've got Cronulla, Canberra, Warriors, who were three teams that were fighting for the, the bottom of the eight. And then Brisbane's in there as well. So if you're a coach or an analytics guru at the club, is that basically saying that we're losing games, but we're not giving games away? So I guess the way I would look at that was, is that that sort of not conceding part of uh, set restarts is teams trying to play the right way. Um, teams not necessarily, they're, they're not uh, trying to take advantage of set restarts or if they are, they're probably not doing it in the right way that Melbourne and Manly are. Um, so yeah, and especially for some of those teams like Cronulla and Canberra have been, they're not great this season, but they've, on, they've been on the backs of some big losses. So some of their margin can be attributed to being you know, lapped by Melbourne or, or, or Penrith at, at times. So uh, I think, yeah, that's probably, that, I think there's probably something that can be taken out of that from, from teams to look and say, you know, are we playing the right way? Should we be a little bit more aggressive in holding down in the ruck? Um, I don't think that's necessarily going to turn them around, some, especially with a team like Brisbane. Um, but, you know, you could probably uh, make a few small changes based on some of these, some of this information. It's quite a stark graph. I know it's only one set, set restarts, but there is a big gap between those front six and everybody else uh, who are, and for and against has a huge thing to do with that. And you said before uh, the show with regards to it's been a, what was the word you use of a season? Um, a dumpster fire? Dumpster fire, yeah. I couldn't. I was, I was <laughs> thinking of different words in my head and they weren't going together. Dumpster fire of a season. And we oh, that's what you about, really think, mate. Because <laughs> it was, I was saying, no, you, you say, like, we've said way worse about what the season's been like. Um, I've said it's been one of the most boring seasons of rugby league because it's been clear very early who the two best teams were. And it was literally, it's felt like a race for second for so long, in my opinion, um, that Melbourne's just so far ahead in almost every category and the thing that blew my mind the very first graph in 
this article it says points for versus points against by team and season. And this is going all the way back to the start of the NRL era in 1998 through to now. Every single team that's played in the comp is on this graph. And the ones that are in red are the teams from this year. And we've talked about how good the Storm is this year, but this graph shows they're not good. They're not even in the same scope as any team since 98. With your eyes, yeah, that's yeah. It's, it's they're just crazy. they're just incredible outliers, and it's, and it's, as you said, it's not like they're just good. Whereas if you look at Penrith on that same chart, they're you know one of the top teams in the NRL era by points for and against uh, average points for against per game. But then Melbourne is just on their league in a league of their own. Um, and then if, if you go to the next chart, which is where I've also filtered it down by round six plus, looking for um, that where Manly sort of started, you look at where Manly and Melbourne are, and there's the both of them are individual outliers. Over the past you know, 23 seasons, you have two teams this season that are just leagues, about, leagues ahead of anyone else, any other team. So even the best teams you think about, the best teams of the past two decades, they're lapping them already, um, which is just... Yeah, it just blows my mind that it's, it's such a one-sided competition that you have these couple of teams now that are so dominant. And if you look at the other end of the scale, there's no team on there that's as bad as that Western Suburbs team uh, in the late 90s. No, no one even close. They're in that top top left-hand top left corner. Um, you know, the oh, dogs yeah. as bad as they are this year. They're not even in that, that stratosphere, but you still have these dominant teams at the top of the competition. Oh, man. I, I was like so focused on the other end. Whoa, jeez. Oh, so that top blue dot right up on the top left, that's West Tigers from where? Yeah, no, no West, uh, Western Suburbs from uh, oh, 99. Oh, wow. Holy yeah, gee. They were, they were hideous. They were they're, as far, <laughs> they're as far at the bottom as Melbourne is at the top. So the, yeah. the contrast from round six onwards is stark. So Manly has jumped uh, a quite, a, quite a way up with regards to... Um, Points four and Manly copped a couple of beltings in the first six weeks, but we did at the start of the year. We generally do the first, the hardest runs in the draw, and we uh, I do a an average based on where the teams finish in the previous year. So top four, I give four points to next four, three points, and so on. And then the bookies for this year and get an average of the two. And I think Manly had five of their first six games against top four opposition. And then without Trevoy, which yeah, led to a lot of beltings. But the other one that jumps out is South Sydney and how much they've shifted after the first six rounds on the graph to where they, sorry, how much they haven't shifted, um, but they have gone backwards. So when did you, and if you can, when did you write South Sydney off? Was it big, Was it after last week with the Latrell going out or was it, something that you saw in the data that there were just too many question marks? Um, it would I mean definitely like absolutely. So I guess I sort of had a pencil through them before last week and once the troll went, um, just uh, I think enough things probably have happened that I couldn't Break see them. Break out the white out. Yeah. Uh, um, I, I think, yeah, South just have had a couple of games. I mean, I, I know it was early in the season where they got really, really poor defensively. And I think the looking at that chart, just seeing them go back, to, I mean, a little bit ahead of league average to absolutely on league average for defense. Um, and that's and not going to get it done. Yeah, if I look at the same chart, I posted an article last year with this chart where I color-coded it based on teams who ended up making the grand final. And it was pretty rare to see a team make the grand final, let alone win it, that wasn't in that bottom right quadrant where you have an above average attack and above average defense. So the, for them sitting on that line sort of necessarily doesn't rule them out, but I, I can't see given how dominant those other three teams are that they would be in with a good chance, um, especially then missing someone like Mitchell, who's such a great game breaker. 
that you need in finals football where it's a bit more defensive focused. Yeah, that's that's it's huge, and it's I talk about the in in a comp like this, which is usually a lot more even. X factor counts for so much, and um, he's one of the players in the league that has that. But he also has the brain snaps in there as well. Um, but I, want I to mean, that's, that's one of the things. Yeah. So I was just going to say, I think that's one of the things that that I like about rugby league as well is that even with all these statistics, you have someone like Latrell Mitchell who doesn't put in a lot of uh, put in a lot of runs or have a lot of high high uh, running meters numbers or things like that or high involvements but he's every bit as dangerous as the top fullbacks in the game. And, you know, you can have a game turn on one or two possessions like that. Whereas in a lot of other sports, you know, you'll have, you, you can't have that sort of swing, instant swing that you get in rugby league. And I think that's what makes it such an amazing game. So obviously you, you just said, you know, as far as South Sydney stats, you'd be struggling to make them above because they don't have the bottom right corner above average attack and defense. Is there a player that you'd be like, you know what? switch him in there and he could change that impact is it that small that you could recommend that or is it just kind of like overall defensive structures or attacking structures or is there so from a recruitment perspective who would you recommend someone they they should recruit yeah moneyball essentially is is one do you like that movie and who 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 (laughs) should south sydney recruit (laughs) Um, I do. I do like the movie. I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna take the really easy way and say I, I don't know. And the main reason I'm gonna say that is because I think so much of um, what works in rugby league, and you can sort of see this with Melbourne, is that situation and role play a big part in it. So Melbourne have this ability to just churn out players from the Queensland Cup who were sort of not off uh, off cast from other teams, but who weren't necessarily picked up at the, at, a, at a young age. Bring them into the system get them training, get them involved in their structures and slot them in and they just perform like world beaters. Um, oh, Billy Slater, uh, so, give a cronk, those sort of guys. Yeah, I mean, Nico Hines no, coming like, from... Yeah, yeah, I know, Jared. Nico I know. Hines, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, Nick Meany. <laughs> well, Nick Meany, I think, is going to have a great season there next year. And, and yeah. the, the Xavier Coates is going to be, uh, I think, just... If, if, if you can see what they're doing this year with the wingers they have, having someone like him that they can kick to regularly... Um, just be, I think they're going to, again, just be a, a league ahead of everyone else. Um, but I think, yes, the, uh, the fit in um, uh, players' roles and structures is probably overlooked a little bit. Um, so I think Latrell works really well for what Souths do. Um, whereas, you, I mean, you could put a player like, obviously, like Trebojevic or Pappenhausen or um, Tedesco in there and they'd, they'd still be a fantastic player, but um, they'd probably change their games. So really underrated player. Um, I don't want, he's not underrated anymore, but Christian Welsh is one of my favorites. Um, I absolutely love everything he does. And Christian Welsh and another one who's, uh, underrated, but he hasn't been playing a lot lately. That sort of was more one of the, um, inspirations of the site is Daniel Alvaro from used to be at the Eels and is now at the Dragons. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, right I, so my stats that I made up, the stats that I created, it's a, it's a tackle percentage and run percentage, which is basically looking at how often players run or make, make a run or complete a tackle adjusted for minutes and possessions just to see how middle four was performing. And Alvaro and Welsh were just like for the three or four seasons within the top one or two every year. Um, so I always I have a soft spot, those sort of hardworking, um, high work rate middle forwards who don't play a lot of minutes. So I think, you know, those, then those sort of players are really underrated because teams are looking to you know, make home runs, hit home runs and sign the next Greg Inglis or bring in a really um, high profile half or, or fullback but you, you need a team of 17 players. You need, you know, half a dozen strong forwards and players who you know, won't necessarily sit in your 17 every week to come in when there's injuries. So 
Uh, I like my, my focus on players that I sort of think are over on the underrated uh, really strongly in that middle field and interchange players who can um, perform at a high, uh, a high level in short minutes. So money. Uh, I love that. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it is a because if you can nail those, and this again, I think yeah. is Melbourne's Melbourne's way of doing things. If you can nail those sort of you know ten to the players ten to twenty in your roster and get them yeah. at a good price, um, you know guys like the, the guys they bring in that probably no one else is looking at, like Justin Olam and players like that, where they bring him in, they're probably not on a great great um, deal at the moment, and they should be. Um, but you bring those in, you nail those those ten to twenty players. Um, you fill them up with the, your, your minimums and development players at the end. You can overspend and put your money into the top 10 players yeah. and really pay for those um, uh, top players. And it also allows them, uh, when they do have players like Billy Slater and Cameron Smith move on, they can increase the, the what they're paying to guys like Jerome Hughes and Ryan Pappenhausen to make sure they retain the guys that they've brought through. So, yeah, I think there's too much focus probably on those top-end players and not enough focus on finding the right guys in the middle. So would that mean you'd be really interested in this weekend um, just because there's a lot of players getting rested and a lot of the new players coming in to cover those positions? Does someone like you go, oh, got a whole new batch of players to look at right now? Yeah, I, I do I do enjoy that. I mean, I don't have as much time with a couple of small kids at the moment to watch as many games as I'd like to. But yeah, there is something exciting about seeing players that I've not seen in top grade before. Um, and then ideally, if I had more time to do it, I'd watch my, a lot more Queensland Cup. Um, I know, again, Liam from Pythagorean NRL does a lot of data analysis on the Queensland Cup players. Um, and you can sort of see the players that come through a couple of years later do perform quite well um, in the NRL. There's a few things that they can probably do better. They can. There's a few things you could probably track players doing well in Queensland Cup that would translate to NRL. So, yeah, seeing some players for the first time, it's always a bit challenging because they're not necessarily going to be in situations that would benefit them. But still, sort of, you can get an idea from some players' body language and some of the things that they can and can't do. Um, or what they're being asked to and asked not to do, um, you can sort of get a bit of an understanding of uh, where they sit. Okay. Uh, I don't want to take too much more of your time, Andrew, so I want to finish on a positive here. And uh, my favourite graph, I think you've already alluded to it, of this whole article is this section of it's titled The Worst Defensive Top 8 Ever, and there's a specific <laughs> feature on the Newcastle Knights. So... Um, <laughs> Look, this, we made the eight. Shut up. This, this, yeah, so this is the quadrant uh, quadrant scale again. And Andrew mentioned before, this is points for versus points against by team and season. NRL era 98 to 2020. It's the same graph as we we're talking about before. However, the colours have shifted uh, to blue and orange for teams that um, didn't make the finals compared to teams in the top eight. And all of the top eight teams are pretty much in the good defence, good attack or in the good defense, bad attack, bad defense, good attack, a few in there. There's three orange dots in the bad defense, bad attack quadrant. One of them's Newcastle 2021. Um, how the hell did they get there? How are they in the top eight when literally compared to all the teams from 98 to now, they're one of the worst? Yeah, I think it's a function again of just how one side of this season is so Newcastle's won a lot of games very closely, but they've also been on the site that end of some really bad um, defensive efforts. So they've had a lot of points put on them. So yeah, it's that quadrant, you've only seen a few handful of teams make the top eight, let alone um, sit in seventh place. And Newcastle's pretty comfortably in seventh place. So mm. the fact they've had one of the worst defensive seasons ever for a top eight team, yet they're in seventh place is another really strong indication of just how one-sided and 
crazy this year has yeah, been. This is how I wanted to spend my Thursday night. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I just had to throw that way in there. So I was like, there's only what five teams left that have a positive points differential, or maybe yeah, six. Which is really it's, it's yeah, yeah. No, I'm looking at it here. It's it's such a Look. funny. I'm looking at the other teams. Warriors 2008, um, Brisbane yeah. 2009, Canberra 2002. They're the only other three teams in that whole quadrant that made finals. Yeah, and it's Newcastle's crazy. got the worst defensive record of all of them. So oh, uh, it's just, yeah. I just saw that too. Yeah. That's so, nuts. That is absolutely so nuts. Does that, like, with the finals coming forward, and it's not going to happen, but Newcastle just have to win four games and we throw just like that. Does that do because that's matter in the first 26 weeks and the last four is this becomes completely irrelevant as far as you can predict what they're going to do, but if they just play the best games they have for a month, they're, they've won a grand final? Or do you like outliers? Um, I do like, like outliers like that, but I think one of the things I look at is I don't generally look at finals game performances because, as you mentioned, they're, they're, they're sort of a, a separate... It's almost to me is like a separate season. So when I do analysis, I'll look at the regular season games because everything's like for like across all 16 teams. Whereas when, when you get into finals, there's you know, teams will play a little bit differently. They'll, uh, you know... you. you they're, they're some teams get up for finals games and uh as being paramount stand i know that some teams don't get up for finals games so uh, there's a lot, of, a lot of other factors at play so um yeah i think I, I don't necessarily throw it out the window but i'd say okay this is what you know if it was the regular season game you can say this is what might happen but finals games are so different there's a lot more pressure and players uh it's it's hard again it's something that uh, you can you could attribute to the to the eye test itself oh and, there it uh, is name drop like, Love it. Yeah, well, I like no, but like why well, I like that name as as the side is the things you can see as artists. You can see players like Cameron Munster step up in finals games and they're they're putting big performances or not yeah. necessarily finals games, important games. They show up and other like players. Said Mitchell. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's a, there's a name. Some players don't perform well in finals games. So uh, I think these again, these probably more indicative indicative than representative for finals games because it's such a different um, atmosphere. So. This is, I don't want you to explain this. This is just going to be a yes and no. Okay. So no, no backing it up with data, but yeah. one of the tables on here, net points responsible for uh, 2021 yes. season, minimum four games played. So it's basically looking at the players and the points um, that they're responsible for per game. If we look just at that table, if we just took the players out of their teams, do their um, winning chances drop so much that it's a completely different team? So basically, are they one-man teams? Uh, I think one of them is. Um, the other ones, not so much. I think they're still, still. I think, and if that's not a reflection of the quality of the team, it's the, the fact that that one player makes such an amazing difference. So I do it is. Like, it's Tom Trebojevic. I think the... <laughs> The comparison I would make it's not it's not nowhere near the same sort of um, situation or, or um, uh, circumstances. But if I look at basketball and you look at Stephen Curry and the way that people talk about his gravity when being on on court is that he you know not only is he um, the focus of the players who are defending him, he's also the focus of everyone else on the court because they need to know where he is at all times. And I feel there's something in that similar with Tom Trevojevic is that you see him teams are seeing him on the field and they're so concerned about what he's doing that it's affecting the way that they um, cover the rest of the team. 
So I think he just has that sort of, uh, yeah, that sort of gravity pull where he's uh, causing more problems just by being on the field, not necessarily doing anything. All right. So how good are you at tipping? Not great. I tend to <laughs> okay. Um, so right now, Canberra are trying to blow their top eight chances because they're losing 20 points to 12 to the Roosters. Mm-hmm. All right, so I'm just going to give you the game and you're going to tell us who, we, who we're going to put money on this weekend. I already had Roosters, so I got that. I should, I should, um, I should uh, preface this by saying, that it, despite I do all, doing all this, I am not a punter. I don't punt. Um, I don't. So, uh, so we do, so we're going to lose yes, all our paychecks. I get a lot of people saying, you do, it's great because it uh, helps me make my, do, my, do my tips or things like that. So uh, I know I get a lot of uh, degenerate gamblers messaging me all the time. So thank you. <laughs> so, we, we started right. with $100 each this year. Jared had lost his within 10 rounds, maybe. Seven weeks. I've yeah. still got roughly $50, $60 left, but we, we stopped counting because Jared ran out so long ago, there wasn't a competition anymore. So I kept betting on Newcastle. Okay, Melbourne, Cronulla, who's going to win? Uh, I still think Melbourne will come through. Para Penrith? That's obviously going to be Penrith. Yeah. No, he doesn't tip with his heart. What a chance. No, that's it. Have that's, you seen that's, the that's, that's, Manly yeah. and Penrith are the only two teams that have put full full squads in. Yeah. Uh, Broncos, Newcastle. I would like to think Newcastle could do it, but uh, I think they're resting a few players as well. So uh, yeah. it wouldn't surprise me for Brisbane, but I think Newcastle can do it. Uh, this is going to be an oh, easy tip. can't do it this week, then they shouldn't even be playing the week after. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just had to throw that in there. Okay, Cowboys, Manly. I think Manly's, that's... Uh, I mean, it also depends on who's... And whether Manly need to win to get the yeah. top four spot. So if they put up the same lineup they've announced, um, then absolutely in a canter. I think they'll probably still go pretty close, even if it's not. Uh, South Dragons. I think South will still do it. I mean, the, the South team is not not a, a high, highly rated, wouldn't be a highly rated first grade team, but first grade team, but the Dragons have been putting out something like that the last couple of months. So I, I think South <laughs> will probably. We'll probably get it. It'll be a lot closer than um, what it would usually be if they were full strength. Though. I think I think the next one's legitimately the only one that could go either way that most people are interested in. Gold Coast Warriors, just because where they are. Who do you, who do you reckon for that one? Because they're both full strength, yeah. or as full strength as they can be with the injuries. Hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I enjoy watching both teams play, so I think there's some really interesting players on both sides. I, I, I think the Titans should get it, just... Um, I think they've just got a slight, slightly higher level of quality across this side than the Warriors do. Yeah, I'm um, going to draw. But again, yeah, again, I mean, I'm looking at the the, the, the pricing at the moment and the Titans in $1.28 feels a bit um, sure. short. But uh, again, it wouldn't surprise me to see them win by 40, but then it wouldn't surprise me to see the Warriors win by you know, 13 plus either. Those two right, teams so have th- wrecked my tip in the last three weeks. But now they're yeah, playing so each other. I'm going to draw. So next game. It's probably the most important <laughs> game of the year. Um, everyone's teeing up to it. Everyone's going to the pub to watch this game. Um, Bulldogs so everyone, and Dragons, I'm saying. No. Bulldogs and Tigers. And tigers. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Who's your tip and why? And what positives can you get out of either one of these teams? Um, I, I mean, the only positive that I can think of is that at least by six o'clock, it should be over. Um, <laughs> I, I think there's 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 not a lot to, to draw to this. I mean, if the Tigers don't don't win this, and again, I know that there's not they haven't got a, they haven't put out a full strength team because they've got injuries 
and things uh, things like that. And the dogs have got a, a again had a disaster of a season. But if even with that um, the, the lineup that the Tigers have, they should be putting they should be winning these sort of games. But that's the sort of been the case of their season is the games they should be winning they're not winning, and that's probably why they're sitting in was the thirteenth at the moment. Yeah, yeah, Andrew, that's um, has been an awesome interview, man. Do you want to um, plug your site or anywhere else we can read your work um, outside of yeah. your Twitter handle or website? You can read the uh, articles at test.com and I'm also on Twitter at League iTest. Um, so you can uh, pick me pick them up there too. Uh, as I mentioned, I was doing the buy sell hold articles for NRL Supercoach Talk this season. Uh, given the season's over now, it's not as uh, relevant, but um, the guys at NRL Supercoach Talk do an amazing job. Everyone there is fantastic. Um, if you Supercoach, it's point of um, Really, thank you. It's been great talking to you guys. Cool. Um, I, I literally just thought then when you were talking about where to find you, the very first thing I saw that Andrew did and what drew me into his um, Twitter handle to start with was the player on player comparison graphs. Do you still take yeah. requests for those? I, I do. I don't do or do as many of them, but uh, yeah, I will exist, especially if there's one that's based on more whether or not I'll find it interesting. So I get a lot of ones that'll be like, oh, here's, can you put the two best players at, at this position together? And to me, that's not interesting. The ones I like are where you pick uh, someone who's sort of um, a, a high profile name and you can find someone who's got a similar statistical profile to them who's not a big name. Or someone, like, I like to have a bit of fun with them. And so there was one earlier this year I did, which was uh, James Tedesco and Matt Dufty. Yes. And as I said, I said, oh, yeah, James Tedesco is just a Matt Dufty who can't break the line. Because at that point in the season, Matt Dufty had this incredible um, line break average. So, and their profiles are But if I was ever going to pick a fullback, I wouldn't even, I mean, Matt Dufty's, a, a, I think he's probably at this stage uh, underrated. I think he gets a lot of negative press that probably doesn't need. I mean, he's not a great defensive fullback, but. There's not a lot of players. There's still some of the um, things you can do with the ball. A lot of other players can't do in the NRL. So I think there's still a spot for him. But, you know, I would never pick him over, Matt, over James Tedesco. But, you know, I like to, to um, I guess, some sort of equal opportunity um, uh, at uh, annoying fan bases. So I like to put something up that's a bit ambiguous that both fan bases can feel aggrieved by. Um, yeah. Can you like do a six again one for us? Cherry versus Pierce. Oh, that's, that's, uh, a, that's a canter. Come on. Well, <laughs> I want to give him a challenge. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Cherry versus... I was thinking Ponga versus Trevojevic, but no. We're, no. Not, we're not even going to look at that this year. One of the ones I did last year was Ponga versus Dylan Edwards, and it was pretty close. And it, I don't think the Newcastle fans were too happy. So I'll go oh. with Mitchell oh. and Evans, and I'll see what the outcome is. Yeah, just right. put it up for us. Jared, awesome. my, I think, I I think it'll be surprising. Get... I was going to get Jared to try and pick the one that I'm thinking in my head because I've been on this bloody horse for weeks. <laughs> um, could you, as a as a parting, even though you're our guest, I'm going to give you a parting mm. homework, but <laughs> Moses Suli <laughs> versus Brad Parker. Because <laughs> I want oh, Moses yeah. Suli in and Brad Parker's got the loyalty vote from Hasler. And um, when Suli's had his chance, he's been freaking awesome. So that'd, yeah, that'd be I, a huge appreciation. Well, well, well. I was just going to say, most of the Manly fans that I uh, talk to or I see comment, Brad Parker is sort of considered God almost. Uh, there. I know. Like the like, uh, they'd be erecting a statue of him outside Bookvale. Yeah. <laughs> I, oh, I, I have nothing against him as a person. And I love how <laughs> you he represents our it. club, but I also <laughs> want to win the grand final. So, Understood. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll have a look at that.
Cheers, Andrew. Have a good night, mate. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. Later. Thanks, mate. All right, we're back. Hope you really enjoyed that. We are going to rip into our round 25 preview. We do realize that we're going to miss the Roosters Raiders lineups because it's now 51 minutes into the game and Roosters are up 30 to 12. So any spoilers aren't going to be done because it's now the next day. So we're going to start with the 6 p.m. Game Sharks versus Storm about Seabus Super Stadium on the Gold Coast. And do take these lineups and our predictions with a grain of salt because there are a number of changes likely to happen over the weekend based on where teams will finish, based on other results. So well, we'll do our best. Yeah, like I said in the preview for a ring, um, this game, this round is more to look at, especially for the teams who rested players. Look at the young fellas coming through. Have a look at them, see what you reckon. Um, give us a shout out because a lot of people don't like these kind of rounds um, just because they're resting a lot of people, but they're good for what's going to happen in three to four years in the NRL because these are the guys that are going to be there. Sure. <laughs> just like the young guy Broncos signed today, another one from the... Queensland under 20s from a couple of years ago and there's like seven or eight of them running around the NRL now. <laughs> so for the Sharks, they've still got a finals position uh, on the line, I believe. And it's between them and the Raiders. But in saying that the Raiders aren't putting up such a good show. So if Raiders do lose tonight, and it's looking as though they will, um, Sharks are in a pretty strong position. Although... If they do lose and the Titans win, and geez, the for and against between them is not huge. It's negative 24 to negative 47. So if Titans can win by 23 plus and the Sharks lose, they can take that eighth position. So there's still a little bit of pressure on the Sharks, hence why they've named uh, quite a strong side. Matt Moylan is starting this week after coming off the bench for a 15-minute performance last week. Uh, Sifasofa Talakai drops back to the interchange with Teague Wilton in the starting position. Toby Rudolph retains his position of prop. So pretty much the strongest side that Sharks can put out there bar injury, um, knowing that they do have to get the two points in order to guarantee themselves a final position. Like we said earlier, any loss and a Titans win could change the situation if Titans win by a fair margin. Uh, for the Storm, still naming a pretty strong side. Um, very strong side, actually, with looking through it. A few outs, but Ryan Pappenhausen is starting at fullback with Nico Hines starting at 5'8", with Cam Munster being rested. Uh, Isaac Lumi Lumi comes in on the wing as well uh, to oppose Dean Irema. For props, Tuikama Kamika gets a start. Nelson Asafa Salona gets a start. Aaron Penne, Chris Lewis are the second rowers. And on the bench, Tepai Maroa, Jordan Grant, and Cooper Johns. So a second-grade squad there for Melbourne. Uh, they're only missing Munster, Welch, Kafusi, Bromwich, Adokar, Bromwich, Smith, Remy Smith, is, and Eisenhuth, and they've still got a team that I believe will win this game. <laughs> That's so bad, isn't it? Well, they still have the um, minor premiership on the line. Yeah. See, the thing about it is that no one gives a shit about the minor yeah. premiership. We, we, we've been through this a few times, actually. 
So you get a hundred grand to win the minor premiership. It's probably less now due to COVID. Um, you get a vaccine. And there's no, other than a hundred grand, there's no advantage other than uh, compared to second, other than, well, there's none at all. Depends other who you want to play grand. in the first round. Do you want to play Roosters or do you well, want to uh, Rabbitohs I don't or do you think... want to play Manly? They can't dictate that anyway. So I just. Well, if they lose and Penrith win, and Penrith should win. Yeah, but I, I, honestly, I don't think they Melbourne. I don't think Melbourne care who they come up with. I don't That's think they're true. sitting there going, "Oh, like I am right now," going, "I'd rather play Roosters or thing than Manly." Like I was done. There you go. It shits me off. I, I, I still maintain it's harder to win an NRL minor premiership in the grand final. Yep. So, I am going to go Melbourne. All right. Boring, but all good. I'm with you. Um, Talk about second string teams. Um, Eels first string could have been second string, but we'll go with third string. Eels versus Penrith, Friday, 8.05, to complete uh, the double header down the Gold Coast. Um, For the Eels team, it's probably easier to say who's kept their position. So Blake huh. Ferguson's on the wing. Opacek's in the centres. That's it. <laughs> so Bryce Cartwright, Kevin Hipgrave move off the bench into the starting second row position. Ray Stone gets a start at lock. Oregon Kafusi and Makatoa are the props with Joey Lussig at hooker. Hayes Perham at fullback. Hayes Dunster on the wing and... Michael Oldfield's the other centre with Will Smith, the captain for this game, I believe, and Jake Arthur in the halves. Interchange, Samuel Lizo, Kai Rodwell, Sean Lane, and Sean Russell. Sean Russell's a winger, right? Yeah. Yeah. Compared to a Penrith full-strength squad uh, with a bench of Tyrone May, Scott Sorensen, Tavita Pango Jr. and Liam Martin. Otherwise, Penrith are so- 1-13. to 13. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Outs, Clint Govson, Isaiah Papalihi, Junior Paul, Murata Nikore, Mitchell Moses, Nathan Brown, and Wonga Blake. Oh, okay. I think we both go on Pemriff on this one. Like Brad Arthur at least has to line hip grave up against kick out to give us something to watch, right? <laughs> okay, next game. Newcastle versus Broncos at Suncorp Stadium, Saturday Arvo. Um so Newcastle, as you would have heard earlier, the worst team to be in the top eight. I had to throw it in. I'm sorry, man. Keep going. Looks Jordan Ricky looks set to play. Adi reverse um, to finish their season. The right note. Um, okay. For Newcastle, no injury support for Adam O'Brien's side. Um, he's resisted the urge to rest Pearson Ponga. And he, he's given Jaden Braley, Mitch Barnett, and Jacob Sarfidi a break. So moving up front, Clemmer comes in in replace of Sarfidi off the suspension. And Suaso Seu keeps his position at prop. Um, Jake Clifford and Mitchell Pierce are in the halves, obviously. Chris Randall goes into nine with Phoenix, Crossland, Jura, Marisa, Josh King, and Jack Johns on the interchange. Um, there's been a lot of chat out lately about Pasami Solo coming in because he's come up from broken leg, but we'll see how that goes. Um, who are you picking? 
I was going to say, for the Broncos, final games for Xavier Coates, uh, most likely Anthony Milford, or same Anthony Milford. Uh, Alex Glenn, obviously going into retirement. Um, David Mead didn't get a extension, did he? No. I don't think so. Uh, Brody Croft is on the reserves, so he's not playing anyway. Yeah, so a few bye-byes for Brisbane. Um, Who are you going? You'd have to say Newcastle have to win. They've, they've got a lot more to be playing for. Not really. Uh, they don't have anything to play, play for. Form? Um, nah. Going into right, I'm going to Newcastle. Next game. This is just a waste of a weekend. Um, mate, not, not because of the players involved, because both these teams are as strong as they can be, but just because this is going to be horrible. Cowboys versus Manly at Queensland Country Bank Stadium in Townsville. Um, so this is one Colin of the Hesh games where, off- can I say, this is one of the games where a lot of things can and may change, albeit the reserves Manly have named are still pretty strong, but they will already know where they'll finish before this game starts. Uh, Cohen Hess is on track to play, replacing Ruben Cotter on the, on the bench. Uh, Lachlan Burr has been named in reserves after concussion, but it's unlikely to come in. Um, Cowboys coach Todd Payton said the club will review Jason Tamalolo's hand injury suffered this year with a possible technique change in carrying the ball and the cards to the offseason. For fuck's sake, it's a hand injury. No, there was it's just contact injuries. Um, they should rest him anyway, just please, to be sure. Tamalolo does, does not need a technique change. Just leave him alone. Taniel Pasaka was close to return last week, but was held back and will play Saturday night. Uh, Sean Kepi got out of a 14-day quarantine last week following the birth of his child in Sydney and expected to come off the bench before finals to get a bit of game time underneath him. Um, other than that, there's no changes. Uh, Manly should shit this in, barely even trying. I don't know. Cowboys can... Is that the correct analysis for this one? Yeah, Manly definitely have to be favourites, but Cowboys could spring an upset in their last game for the season. <laughs> okay. Um, so next game. Good to, good to see young Paseca back. Dragons versus Rabbits. Um, I'm, I'm interested in the fullback battle here. Tyrone and Sloan versus Blake Taft. So the ins for South Sydney, Braden Burns, Davey Moali, Dean Hawkins, Jed Cartwright, Lachlan Elias, Patrick Margo, Peter Mamazoulis. Tane Milne, Tata Moga, out Adam Reynolds, Damian Cook, Dan Gagai, Latrell Mitchell, Liam Knight, Thomas Burgess. Um, oh, for Dragons, oh. um, they will not make any late changes. Nothing changes from last week. Zach Lomax is still out with a thumb injury. I'm still going south. Um, so, I mentioned it um, as a big talking point in the Thing podcast, but I'm going to say it again. Congratulations to Six Against Podcast's favourite players, Mark Nichols, for being named captain for South Sydney this round. Couldn't go to a better bloke. Um, honestly, we're going to have to slide into his DMs and get him on this podcast one day just to have a chat with a poor big fella. Um, going to captain one of the most prestigious NRL clubs in the history of the game. Could not be happier for him. Oh. Well said, Jared. 
I feel like any analysis. Yeah, I feel like any analysis we do on any of these games is worthless after our interview. Yeah, Um, that's why I'm swinging through these. Titans versus Warriors, Sunday, two o'clock at Seabus Super Stadium. That one's at Sunny Coast, the Saturday night game. Yeah, we're supposed to go to the Broncos game, but I got shit on now. Um, uh, Kevin Proctor has been battling AC at AC joint problem has been named to play, but need to pass pass a final fitness test. Um, Fafita's named the interchange, um, but considering they need a win by a lot to get in the four and to increase their four and against chances, they well, might start him. Cronulla had won a loss by now. Uh, Moeka Fodawaka has been promoted from the bench. We'll start a prop with Famasuli sliding back to lock and Sam McIntyre to the bench. Uh, Matt Lodge was successful in finding a dra- dangerous contact charge at Judiciary on Tuesday night for the Warriors. And t- Chanel Harris-Tavita returns to the lineup at 5-8 and expected to play. And Jermaine Tenille-Brown comes on the interchange in place of Bunty Afoa. Picked up a hamstring injury at, injury- at training on Tuesday. Um, Jazz to Vega, the 18th man, stays on the extended bench. Nathan Brown has no idea what he's doing. I'm picking, I'm picking the Gold Coast just because he's got Jazz to Vega off on the extended bench. That is ridiculous. Who are you going? I actually think the Warriors have a better squad. The Titans may have a finals position. Or oh. yeah, I, I just, I, I, I don't actually think the Warriors will win, but I just am protesting. Okay. Can, do we even have to talk? Do we even have to talk? So much. <laughs> do we even have to talk about this game? Bulldogs versus Tigers. Uh, Kelma Tulagi is no certain to play with James Roberts among those in reserves. Um, Moses Mbai for his, his last, last game, game has to pass the concussion protocol. So it'd be disappointing that he goes out like this. Uh, Jacob Rulo was close to return last week and could have. Again, push for selection this week. Uh, Dylan Upper is back from a band, but only as far as the extended bench. So he might be just done at the Bulldogs. Yeah. Corey Dell returns for us. Sorry? One of 12. Yeah. I, I went through that at the start. This is what I mean. You don't listen. Corey, <laughs> Corey Waddell. <laughs> Sorry. I apologize. That was a dick move. Oh, um, I know Adam's been busy. Corey Al returns from a suspension to take the second row spot vacated by Matt Dory, who suffered a torn ACL against Manly. Literally the most disappointing thing. Okay, so heads or tails. I don't know how we can do this from the podcast, but one of us has to pick the other to get the tip right. I'm going Tigers. I've got the dogs. Yeah, the dogs. Send everyone. And that is actually, I think I tipped the, the draw end the of the Warriors. most puzzled. <laughs> I'll go with draw. That is, it? yeah, the end. Too much. You got anything else? Um, the fact that I've just got a big night of editing to come up to get all this in order. Yes, no, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> yeah, all right. We will see you guys on Monday and then next week's going to be massive because we're going to be previewing the finals round one. Good luck if your team is still fighting for a finals position. Sharks, not so much Raiders anymore, Sharks and Titans and commiserations to the others 
And yeah, that's it. See you next week. Bye. See ya. Thank you for tuning in to Six Again. Connect with the show on Twitter, Instagram, and the Six Again website. All links via the show's bio. Be sure to check out Adam's Craft Beer Choice of the Week.